Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from innovative thinkers. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Pipeline Plus. Tired of overcomplicated CRM? Pipeline Plus is the easiest business development tool you'll ever use. It helps you organize and focus on your most important relationships with instructional e-learning tutorials and concrete suggestions from our built-in AI. Pipeline Plus gives you everything you need to get new business from your existing network. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert and today my guest is Tim Corcoran, the founder of the Corcoran Consulting Group and a longtime friend of mine. Tim, great to have you on the show today. Well, thanks for having me back. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about your background for those who may have missed the last episode that we had with you. Sure. Well, I've been uh, consulting now for over a decade on my own, spent some time uh, with one of the other boutique consultancies before that. But most of my career has been spent as an executive at large companies where I was uh, a buyer of legal services. I was the client of the law department and uh, involved in hiring outside counsel. And so really my consulting practice is teaching the lessons I learned as a business person to law firm and law department colleagues. My clients during my time as a corporate executive were law firms and law departments. So this is a space I know well and have been part of for pretty much all of my adult life. I like to think that it's a nice way to give back by marrying what I learned as a business person with the the market I know so well, because lawyers, as smart as they are, just aren't trained in business concepts. So that's what I do. I'm here to help. Fantastic. Well, we're going to talk today about some of the ways that you're helping law firms, particularly around the topic of strategic planning. Now, I know you do a lot of work helping law firms navigate their compensation structure. You also help firms think more strategically about how they're going to build and exist into a pretty quickly changing environment here. So let's start with that point. Why is strategic planning so important? given that we are building on shifting sands these days? Well, I think strategic planning is important for any business of any kind, but there are times when it's critical and there are times when it's nice to have. And I think many of the lawyers of a certain age, uh, those who are leading law firms or edging towards the tail end of their careers, grew up in a time when you didn't really need a strategy. You needed to have a good CV and some good marketing and you know a firm handshake and the phone would ring and you would do well. And that was a great time, uh, but it created a perception in the minds of many lawyers that you practice good law and you uh, do good work and that's your best marketing. And you know the phone will ring. But it's just not true. It's not true in most businesses, and it's certainly not true in law firms, except for this period of time when there was near unlimited demand for legal services, notwithstanding pushbacks on billable hour and, you know, association of corporate counsel forming in large part to try to, you know, wrest back control from the the supply chain and so on. Uh, But things were pretty nice for law firms for a very long time. However, post 2008, when business people took control of the legal function and said, no more can you be this mystical area that's not subject to any microeconomics that the rest of the business is held to. I mean, try predicting oil futures or what interest rates might be or currency fluctuations. Those are no more variable than the legal costs. And so we have to figure it out. So you do too. So the world will never go back to that. Um, Doesn't mean that good law firms won't have the phone ringing, um, but it does mean that competition is here to stay. 
And there's competition from multiple sides now. It's from for big firms. It's from smaller firms that have lower rates, but capable lawyers, and also from non-traditional legal service providers, the ALSP, which is fast growing as a competitor to many law firms. For smaller firms, you're dealing with price pressure from those who are even smaller, but also from the bigger firms saying, we've got to expand our footprint. We maybe need to go down market instead of just up market. And so competition is everywhere. And so therefore, you can't just say, let's shout louder. Let's do more advertising. Let's do more PR. You've got to have a strategy and say, where are we most effective? Where can we take the resources we have and deploy them to the market in such a way that we will be differentiated and able to deliver quality work and generate a profit and do so in some type of sustainable fashion? Not, not decades, but you know, for the next couple of years, can we maintain an advantage? And so I think strategy planning really boils down to that, trying to find that, that advantage for the next period of time and, and, uh, and then readjusting as, as circumstances warrant. You know, you mentioned 2008. I think it's important to touch on that. In 2007, we also were experiencing a boom time in the industry. And very many firms were thinking, all right, well, you know, this is how it's going to be for a while. But as we've seen over and over again, the pendulum does swing back and forth. And even though these are bountiful times that law firms are experiencing, it's important that we do look downstream and make sure that we're positioned to, as you say, Tim, differentiate. I mean, after all, we want to be able to attract the right talent to the firm. We want to be able to ensure that we're somewhat weatherproof and the weather may change in the coming months, coming years. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the beginning of a strategic plan. Typically, when one writes a strategic plan or writes a mission statement or, you know, a business plan of some sort, it always starts with that ideological component, right? What do we stand for? Who, who are we really? And that is a big part of the differentiator, right? I mean, because we have an office in Buffalo, New York is not ultimately going to be the thing that makes us stand apart from, you know, another firm uh, that's not as interesting in a world world where geography doesn't really matter and all the lawyers have great pedigree. So what do we believe in? What do we stand for? These are the kinds of things that uh, especially this new crop of associates is putting emphasis on protesting firms that represent certain clients that they're ideologically misaligned with. Uh, we see DEI becoming a much more significant conversation where uh, being equitable is no longer a nice to have. It's a need to have. And you better be able to demonstrate it, not just give us the right lip service. So let's talk about that ideological component, which ultimately needs to be the driver of the key objectives in a strategic plan. Yeah, so I love that as, as a basis for not just strategy, but for a lot of things, including compensation, an area where I spend a lot of time. If we don't have a common set of values, some shared values, then it's really hard to figure out what we reward and where we should invest our time and our energy and our money. And so when we talk about values as a precursor or as a foundation for strategy or comp, I don't want people to think it's some sort of like group hug or some sort of warm and fuzzy throwaway exercise where we come up with a few pithy words and phrases that we put on a plaque and hang in the lobby. It's really truly, for those of us who are numbers oriented, it's really a foundational exercise. What do we care about? Are we looking to become a multiple service provider to our clients, or are we content with having a group of silos working independently, the sum total of which is an acceptable sum, and we share overhead to do that? Because that's pretty foundational. Your strategy is going to be very different if you're saying, we've got to find ways to have 
many-to-many relationships at our key clients. We've got to find ways to institutionalize those clients so we're protected in the event of a, a defection by a partner or you know a key decision maker on the client side retiring or moving on. You know, let's let's find a way to make those clients sticky. So I have opinions, but let's say for this purpose, I'm indifferent. I don't care what your 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 values are, but it's important that your strategy emanates from those values because it's foolish to say that we've got a desire to be autonomous, work in silos. In fact, our comp plan strongly rewards that and then develop a strategy which is fundamentally based on cooperating and collaborating and hunting in packs and cross-selling. So it's really, for me, it's just practical. If you haven't established or reaffirmed what those shared values are as a group of owners, you might be surprised. Your values are probably in sync. And what you've got out of alignment then is the strategies and the rewards and and your investment philosophies have taken you down paths that that are inconsistent. But aligning them is a lot better than saying, we don't agree on anything collectively as business owners, so let's come up with a strategy. Most firms will find that they're more in alignment than outside of alignment, and it's really just some tweaking at the margins to get things in, in shape. So let's say that the firm's ideal or a particular core value has to do with collaboration or has to do with having an environment where the lawyers can work well together and share opportunities. I mean, that, that's probably a fairly common place that the conversation begins, right? Then, of course, as you point out, we have to make sure that the compensation formula is supportive of that. And that's where a lot of firms do fall down because they have a comp formula that was designed, you know, a decade ago or hasn't really been revisited meaningfully through the lens of what do we stand for? And that consistency, that through line is so critical when you're looking to attract and retain talent because nothing creates friction sooner than, well, wait a minute, you sold me one thing on the way in the door, but now as I'm actually here for six months or two years or whatever it is, I'm seeing quite a bit of hypocrisy. So that ideology is not lining up in terms of what we're actually doing. So starting with that ideology makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of business sense, and then making sure that the objectives drive that forward so that it actually has a meaningful impact throughout the firm. There's also the exercise, Tim, of, okay, We've created an ideology that we feel good about. We have objectives that sort of flow out of that. And all of that looks great on paper. But how do we actually get buy-in? Because yes, you're right, Tim, at the end of the day, most of the lawyers, most of the partners are going to get on the same page when it comes to certain ideals, when it comes to certain core concepts. But there are always going to be those who are dissenters, and some of those dissenters are rainmakers, and it's pretty easy to find yourself landlocked when trying to socialize a particular idea, strategy, or initiative when it's important that everybody sign off on it. Well, I think getting buy-in is not just a nice-to-have, it's critical. And it's probably okay to acknowledge that in any group of homo sapiens, you will very rarely get complete agreement on anything. So let's make sure our standards are practical and realistic. And I also think philosophically, I'm not going to spend a lot of time with people who are going to dissent about everything. I'm really going to focus on those things we have in common and those people that want to find commonality and want to collaborate and want to do things together. And developing a strategy is a group exercise. The traditional strategy approach in law firms, and that you know, is, comes down from corporations, is a top-down exercise. Management gets together, makes some decisions, and issues a proclamation. This is our focus. 
It's based on market research and external validation of the opportunities we see, unmet needs in the market, mapped against our unique combination of resources and people and maybe technology or cost advantages. You know, marrying those two together, we now have a strategy where we can go out and differentiate and do so profitably. The challenge is in a corporation, you can have a top-down command from the CEO and we don't allow the receptionist to overrule that CEO. But in a law firm, we have a confusing time where owners exert themselves through their votes on who should become an owner or who should be expelled from being an owner, maybe what our strategy, what our budget is, who should be our leaders, how long they should serve, and so on. And then we take that hat off and we go be individual lawyers just practicing law. The confusion comes in when we put that hat on to get something we need for our personal practice. And so now we're abusing the role of an owner by saying, oh, the temperature in the room is too hot, so I'm going to turn it down because I'm an owner, or or the reverse. Or, Or for more realistic scenarios, I'm going to consume a good portion of this firm's resources because I believe that we need to do more marketing on my team. Or we need to hire a lot of people to get the bench strength, even though we're nowhere near fully utilized now. And and things like that, where we're making battlefield decisions that consume firm resources and and deprive the rest of the firm of those resources while we make those decisions. And yet there's no rubric, there's no framework to allow us to say, that's sensible. And as an owner, sometimes we say, you're not subject to those questions. But the reality is, as an individual lawyer in a practice or a practice group leader or a senior partner, you are subject to these business conditions because you have come together and you put your lot in with colleagues who are subsidizing you and you're subsidizing them and you're doing it together. So strategic planning really needs to be in a law firm, a group exercise. So I like to think of it as more of a bottoms up. doesn't mean management is indifferent and not involved and you know they get the memo at the end. It means management runs a process, of, facilitates a structure that allows everyone to weigh in and participate in the process and feed the information that they probably know better than anyone else. Uh, you know, partners have their ear to the ground. And collectively, we take that bottoms up approach from each lawyer or each practice group And we combine it and we look for those commonalities. So I like to take the opposite approach from the top down, both because the law firm is a different beast, but also because practically speaking, you know, those big blue sky strategy plans that come out of nowhere, trying to find something that no other law firm has thought of, that's pretty rare that that's going to occur. So it really has to be from the ground up because that's where the opportunities are discovered. One of the things that I find can be very helpful in this exercise of getting buy-in is going out into the marketplace and doing some research, whether that's competitive intelligence, here's what other firms are doing, whether that's here are industry trends and drivers so that we understand you know, where the marketplace is headed and we can build practices or develop the firm such that we're taking advantage of that. And most importantly, getting client feedback into the picture. You know, nothing gets a firm on the same page sooner than saying, hey, our top five clients all say they want this. So I guess we better do it, huh? So I think, you know, client feedback is such an important part of that strategic planning. And and really, I encourage any firm that is going through the exercise of looking into next year or the year after that, or the next two, three, three, whatever it is, years, uh, make sure that you are incorporating that market research, that competitive intelligence, and that client feedback, not only for the purposes of buy-in, but also to make sure that the planning that you're doing is informed. Oh, I'll 
I'll jump right on that and, and agree wholeheartedly. And let's not get hung up on the phrase market research. Uh, that could include primary research where you hire someone who's an expert in doing surveys or interviews or compiling analyst reports and coming back with a very, very detailed report about market opportunities or market segmentation or where's our positioning relative to our competitors and all that. Those are all very useful. But as you say, market research can be more on the street. You know, let's talk to our top clients and what's bothering them, not just what specific legal issues do they have, but ultimately they're business people. Like what business challenges do they face and why are they not getting those needs met through their current supply chain, either internally or externally? And once we see some of those commonalities, we see a strategy emerging. Um, one of the things that I think is surprisingly lost in so many law firms is that we are not homogenous businesses. Uh, even the the boutique or niche firms like labor or IP, they do a number of different things within that category. So they're not homogenous either. But a general practice law firm or a firm that does, I don't know, five or six different things or you know 27 different things, it is statistically improbable, if not literally impossible, that those different practice areas with a dissimilar client mix operating in dissimilar economies and business cycles and dissimilar geographies with dissimilar buyers and dissimilar business needs would somehow all have the same revenue and profit potential at exactly the same time. And so you've got to do the market research. You've got to figure out which of your areas have growth potential, top line maybe, maybe bottom line for others. And so your strategy is a function of saying, we're a multi-line business. We don't have one strategy. We've got multiple strategies based on the practices or the industries or the geographies we serve. And within those threads, we will find some commonalities. I mean, that's why multinational businesses still have strategies, even though they're you know, operating in so many different time zones with different product lines. They have a supply chain in the background that most people don't see that weaves all of that together or certainly tries to. So they don't have redundant costs and they're able to find some commonality. Maybe it's a common sales channel. Maybe it's a common marketing channel. Maybe it's a common you know, resource that they're providing. But the point is that they recognize that they're a multi-line business and that's okay. They'll have different growth potential, but there might be some commonalities in how they serve those markets. Law firms should be doing the same. The number one objection you'll get from lawyer A is, well, that strategy doesn't work for my market, so I'm going to ignore it. Well, you know what? That's, that's probably a valid statement. So why would we try to impose a strategy on everyone? Or absent that, we'll call it a strategy, but what it really is, is here's your top line growth target. We don't care how you get there, but you know, meet the budget as if somehow that's management. You know, or that's a strategy. So a multi-line business means you have to have a lot of micro strategies. And once you roll them up, you find out, wow, there's a lot of different tactics we can pursue, but there are some common tactics that cross multiple practice areas, multiple product offerings. And those are the areas that really help us glue the firm together. Yeah. And I think the clearer a firm is on those and the better it can articulate it when you are interviewing uh, new prospective lateral talent, the more likely they are going to want to get uh, involved, the more excited they're going to be about being a part of the firm because the firm has uh, really thought through in a very nuanced way what its trajectory is and where it's going to put its resources and how you're going to be a part of that future. This is, again, why strategic planning is useful on so many levels at a law firm, not the least of which a kind of a hot topic right now, which is talent retention. Yeah. Well, I remember one time working with a, a, a global firm, very 
very notable name. And I was asked to help them develop a, a strategy. Their strategy consisted of really a target list of who they're going to hire. And that meant we're going to go poach some laterals, pull some people from government positions, you know, elected leaders, as well as agency officials and so on. And we're going to put them at a desk and we're going to wait for the phone to ring. I thought I was being punked. I mean, I didn't say that out loud, but I'm like, that, that can't be it. I mean, you don't even have a, a plan to integrate those people. So when they arrive and you plant them at a chair in an office, that the rest of the firm knows they're there. Like, how, how does that become a strategy? It was really challenging for me to translate what they thought was strategy to what I know is strategy and find some common ground. But as you say, it it really helps when not only the old guard gets that we need to have some type of common thread running between all of our various practices and our offices and our industry groups, but the new people who come on board, they, they want to see it. You know, that's part of the pitch. Show me where I can make my way. Now, for some, does it mean in eight years, I'll be partner? Maybe that's what they're talking about. But others are saying, no, I just want to make sure that will I have the opportunity to be successful here? You know, where are we growing? How are we differentiated? What are we doing differently than the firm down the street? Yeah, just like every day we can read, there's another firm throwing more money at associates or laterals. And that's fine. You know, that's, that's a nice tactic. But some people are saying it's not just about throwing a couple thousand dollars my way or tens of thousands. My, it's like, I want to make sure this is a place I can succeed. And if you have a plan of where you're going, and what you care about, and people are rowing in the same direction, that is a very compelling selling point versus those who say, we're a hotel for lawyers and we've got some empty offices, come fill them up and, and then hopefully the phone will ring. That's right. And it ties back to the initial point about being able to answer the question, what do we stand for? Because you are going to find, especially in that younger crop, that it's a, it's a, an important question and your answer better be more compelling than, oh, we're you know a collegiate firm, come here and you know we're going to be nice to each other. And again, certainly attracting sophisticated clients, you better have some sort of DEI strategy in place. So let's talk about the tricky part here, which is the execution of a plan. So often you've seen this, I've seen this, you know, a law firm goes through this exercise, they create a strategic plan. They document it. It looks great. We assign some champions. We assign some deadlines. Then we park it. You know why? Because we got really busy. And then maybe next year, you know, we blow the dust off of it and we go, well, we're already a year into this three-year plan. We didn't really go anywhere. Maybe we can do a little better, you know, next year or whatever. And the degree to which it's taken seriously once the document is done tends to diminish the longer it stays on the shelf. So what are some things that you've seen that can be particularly effective in making sure that the plan stays vibrant? Yeah, well, I think the approach that I like is beneficial and it takes root because it's more focused on what the people on the ground observe and see and the ideas they have and build from there versus someone in a, in a room, undoubtedly smart people in a room, but they huddle for some months and then they come out with a proclamation that says our strategy is, you know, thus. So just from a practical perspective, having more people engaged in the process, by the way, we're not ceding the vote to them. We're not saying that any idea you come up with is valid. In fact, that's part of the challenge is saying, come up with good ideas, but we need to have a framework to say there's a threshold just because you think you can make some money or fill your hours or put a dollar in and get $2 out is not enough. You've got to show that there's a sustainable opportunity that it allows us to differentiate Maybe we've got some expertise or some talent or some technology advantage, or maybe geographically we have some cost advantage. What is the unique thing that we're going to bring to the table? Because there's a lot of law firms who can say they have our, our deep expertise. So 
I go through a series of questions. Think of your top clients. What are their unmet needs? Why are they not hiring you? Why are they hiring someone else? What are they doing internally that they're not hiring any law firms for? What business challenges do they face that they don't even know what the legal issues will be yet, but they certainly know what the business hurdles are going to be. And so we can craft a strategy. But also I think about from the total other angle, think about the clients you serve now and what don't you offer them? Maybe you're the mid-sized firm in your market and your rates are just too high for those small businesses, but they'll hire you for the big stuff. You know, two car dealers want to merge, they'll call you, but no one's calling you to negotiate a lease because maybe that's too small stakes and your rates are too high. So what are the things you're not doing? What could you be offering? So you're not cannibalizing anything, but what could you offer that's this packaged? You know, I don't know, is it an employee handbook for small businesses? You know, they only call you when there's labor unrest, but you know, could you do an employee handbook just for a fixed fee and they they buy it as is? You know, and that might be an introductory offering where they see that maybe you're capable of doing far more for them. Maybe it's corporate registration or sorting out which business form is, is ideal. Maybe you're getting some M&A work, but you're never talking to those clients until they're big enough where you call. And, and so it's, it's thinking about those things. But it's also other categories. What would you do differently to market your services if you were paid based on profit and not paid on time, and in fact, maybe even punished if you take a lot of time. So what would you do differently if you had to you know, think just creatively? These exercises I go through, individual practices or individual lawyers will come up with 20 ideas over the course of a few hours in a sort of brainstorming exercise, structuring structured questions where we just iterate through and you come up with all these ideas. Now, some of them just don't pass the smell test. Others look good, but we can't invest in everything. So then we take it up a notch and say, all right, well, what, what would be a threshold that allows us to proceed and invest in this idea? Does it have importance to just you or will it improve the practice group? Or perhaps does it have appeal across practice groups? Will it cement our relationship strategically with a key client? Does it give us a cost advantage so that we're, we're sticky now with, with, with clients and uh, we're doing so profitably, but our, our rates are very effective for what we're trying to do and so on. And, and so we create a, a bit of a framework to say, just making more money is not good enough. It's got to be, frankly, a competition between all the good ideas. And we, we create a bit of a, a shark tank. Yeah. And I think it's really important what you said about making sure that you're collecting as many ideas from as many people at the firm as possible. Because if at the end of the day, in this strategic plan, I recognize that, oh, that piece, that was my idea. You're going to stay excited about seeing it through and pushing it along after the exercise of putting the document together has concluded. And that's ultimately the key, right? It's back to that bottom-up approach that you mentioned earlier. If this is somebody else's idea, well, then it's somebody else's job to make sure that it comes to fruition. Whereas if I had a hand in it, then obviously I'm going to be passionate and excited about that piece because it came from me. Clearly, I've got some agenda there. Uh, tactically, there are some things that I highly recommend firms do, uh, not only having champions and having those champions be tied to the ideas that were initially put into the, the plan. In other words, if they came up with the idea, then they're partially responsible for championing it into reality. But also make sure that you put together dashboards so that you can measure how you're doing 
learning along the way. There's probably going to be some key relationships that are involved in the execution of the plan, whether those are internal relationships or whether they're external relationships. There may be certain clients you're looking to expand. So deepening relationships with those clients, there may be new sectors you're looking to go into. And so obviously, you know, who are sort of the influencers and decision makers in those sectors that we need to uh, strengthen those relationships with? All of that dashboarding, that relationship management, that project management, that's where technology comes into play. And, you know, an analog approach will only get you so far. It's very difficult to put a finger in the wind and say, okay, are we 50%? Uh, on our way to completing this plan? Or uh, do we just feel good about it? Or do we feel bad about it? When in fact, if we look at the numbers, we can see that we actually have accomplished a significant percentage of this. So getting the data in place and tracking that data is really a key to a modern approach to execution on a plan. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dashboards are critical. A couple other thoughts. I've got any number of firms that proudly produce their three-ring binder or their multi-page spreadsheet of to-dos that emanated from a prior strategic process. And it almost feels like the final paper in some sort of blow-off class where the the professor takes it and feels that it's hefty and says, all right, this this feels like an A-. You know, and so the volume of things that we've tracked, but nobody it follows through and you know we don't actually care if we do them because as long as we get some revenue from each practice and as long as we hit our budget we really don't care if you you know followed the strategy uh, the approach i like to take that is bottoms up approach people have ownership they're saying these are the things that we've identified of all the ideas we iterated through in a in a discussion we've settled on four or five tactical ideas with very specific outcomes we want and I, I want to track that. I want to. I want to celebrate that. I want to be rewarded. And as you know, you noted earlier, I do a lot of compensation work. Too often, we reward only the results of business development, and that means in the form of fees that come in as an originator or billing time against the file. But when you have a very specific plan, you know, a one or two pager that says, "Here are the things I'm doing tactically. Here's the budget. Here's the timeline. Here's how we're measuring success." Those are things that a comp plan can very readily accommodate to reward activity. And this is, this is a challenge in every business, not just law firms, but in, in, in business, you don't want to pay salespeople just for banging on the doors. You want to pay them for closes. But sometimes, particularly in complex sales, there's a long sales cycle. And it takes a while to build up the momentum to start getting business to come in. And so to keep those people motivated, you say, well, we're going to pay you for certain activities, not every activity, but certain things. And those have to be documented. We agree that they all have value. They will lead to success. And so in a law firm context, you could say there's been no incentive to do an individual plan or a practice group plan or a firm strategy. But what if we say that some portion of our comp plan will reward actually delivering on those individual plans? Whether or not they produce results, but certainly if we've done this right, they will produce results. And you'll also get rewarded when those results come in through whatever your normal mechanism is. So uh, anyway, I think there's an opportunity there to reward a bit of the behavior and encourage people to do more of this brainstorming and identifying from their own practice and their own practice groups. What strategic things should we be focused on? You put that on a piece of paper and people are focused on it because they're the ones who drafted it. And there might be some small rewards, even if it's, you know, bonuses or swag. It doesn't need to be huge sums of money. People are very competitive. So things like that, I think, can be very practical of getting people to buy in rather than some big dashboard of things that nobody looks at because 
you know, that's someone else's plan. It's not mine. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You're absolutely singing from my hymn book here. Uh, the idea of rewarding leading indicators is something that most firms really have a hard time getting comfortable with. The whole billable model is, you know, I do work, I get paid for this work, and that's money in the door. And so now I should get compensated on it is counter to what the rest of, you know, the corporate environment uh, absolutely recognizes, you know, if an SDR and a sales team uh, schedules an appointment, they get a spiff for that, right? They get rewarded for that, even if that appointment doesn't end up converting into a new deal. So this is where giving that upfront incentive is so key and something that firms really want to think about if they want to change the pattern of we created the document and then we kind of ignored the document because people weren't really incentivized to do what needed to be done. That heavy lifting tends to be upfront. It's not when you've crossed the finish line. So I just want to take a moment here and kind of review where we've gone. We started talking about uh, values and ideals and the importance of that exercise, not only to really capture kind of the, the essence of, you know, where are we aligned, but also how are we different? How are we differentiating from the competition? Then we talked about the idea of incorporating market research, client feedback, and other means to ensure that there's buy-in, but not the least of which is this what you call bottoms-up approach where we are socializing the notions that are going to go into the plan. Maybe not all of them make it in because some of them get filtered out, but ultimately we want to get as many people involved as possible so that they recognize their ideas in the fiber of the plan and therefore they start to get excited about the championing and ultimately executing of the plan. And then finally, we talked about measurement. What are you measuring? Put the dashboards in place and make sure that you're rewarding the effort that is required to push this rock up the hill. Don't just reward once the rock crests the hill because you may never get it up there given the amount of effort that everyone is going to have to put in to execute on your strategy. As usual, Tim, it's a delight to have this conversation with you. And uh, I hope that uh, listeners will take some of this to heart as they move into their strategic planning processes in the coming months and years. Tim and Deborah Ferron and I are going to be presenting a webinar in a few days. Uh, look for information on that on our website at acridinc.com. And we're really looking forward to sharing some of these thoughts with you because uh, Deborah has a lot to say on this topic as well. And ultimately, when you work with experts like Deborah, like Tim, like myself, you have the benefit of getting a perspective that might be a little more objective and perhaps informed by the broader marketplace and helping you kind of get out of that bubble that can sometimes uh, be a, an unfortunate place to get stuck when you're looking at strategic planning. Tim, any final remarks or parting thoughts before we wrap up? I think we're exactly on the same page. I think taking a bottoms-up approach might feel to law firm managers as if somehow they're ceding control of the process, and it's not. It's really doing the opposite. It's securing far more buy-in than you will by telling people what you want them to do, invite them to participate in the process. And uh, you'll still find commonalities. There will be strategic themes that emerge from the collective noise of various groups coming up with a thousand ideas. Nothing like the engagement of people focused on delivering on their own ideas to uh, generate positive results and positive energy for the firm. And certainly, you know, if I'm a law firm manager, that's how I'd rather be measured than the fact that I issued a three ring binder that no one read. Yeah. Fully agree. Well, you've said bottoms up so many times in this interview that uh, I'm starting to recognize that it's almost happy hour. So I'm going to go uh, do some of that. Uh, Tim, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being part of another episode of the Market Leaders podcast, and we'll be seeing you around. 
It's always my pleasure. Thanks, David. Today's episode was brought to you by Ackert, the company that solves business development problems for professionals around the world. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more about our consulting, coaching, and technology solutions.